So I'm excited this morning. We are starting into a new sermon series through one of my favorite books of the Bible, uh, a letter in the New Testament called Colossians. And we're going to be spending eight weeks as of right now on this book, working through different sections of it to really kind of dive into the text and what Paul, who wrote it, is saying to uh, the church in Colossae and uh, to the surrounding churches in the area. Now, we're doing this over eight weeks, but as we get into this, um, I'm, I'm excited because there's going to be other voices preaching in this series other than just myself. Uh, we've, we're going to have Pastor Hannah Bartlett, Pastor Dana Ingersoll, and uh, Matt Poole, who are going to be preaching over three weeks as part of this series. Uh, and I, I guess I, I want to talk a bit about this this morning. Uh, in May, I'm going to be gone for a little while because I'm going to be traveling with a group from Canadian Baptist Ministries to Kenya. So from May 4th to the 21st, and then I'm going to take a couple days till the 23rd to kind of reacclimate coming back. Um, I'm going to be traveling uh, with a group of seminary students and a professor uh, in partnership with the kind of missions arm of our denomination to get to know and see some of the work that our global partners are doing throughout Kenya. Uh, so a lot going on that way, but I don't know how to talk to the church about like, I'm going to be gone for three weeks, so bye. Uh, so I figured this is probably a, a good time to talk about that. Um, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on with CBM in, in Kenya. They, they do work with, um, you know, helping strengthen local churches, which has been a big part of their ministry, but also doing work with uh, empowerment of women, of uh, children who are, are dealing with um, education issues, of food scarcity. Something that they're experiencing in Kenya is they're experiencing the brunt of what climate change has been doing in a way that we don't experience here. And so they experience a level of food scarcity uh, and drought and famine. There's kind of like no in-between. So a lot of the work going on there is developing ways of drought-proof farming and, and that kind of thing. So uh, I'm interested to see about it. I'll be telling you lots about it once I come back, but just a heads up, uh, I'll be gone for three Sundays during that window, and I'm excited to have, have Matt, Dana, and Hannah come preach through uh, Colossians with us for those weeks. And as a part of just kind of talking about this, I have a little video from uh, one of the, the mission partners in Kenya who's going to tell you just a little bit about what's going on there. So watch the video. Hello, everyone. Greetings from Nairobi, Kenya. I am Laura Muema, Program and Scent Coordinator for Africa Area. I work with our partners in Congo, Rwanda, South Sudan, and Kenya in the areas of gender, children, women, and youth. I also work with my colleagues in Canada and Rwanda in planning and coordinating scent team visits and in participation within our partners' projects and ministries. In the past year, God saw me through starting my new role in CBM and connecting with our different partners in Africa. It was indeed a blessing to be a part of this ministry. This year, I look forward to working with our partners in their design projects and in the areas of creation care, prevention of sexual exploitation and abuse, and venture. Please pray for peace in Congo, for the displaced families, hurting and traumatized women and children. Pray also for South Sudan as they too experience unrest and conflict in some areas. Also pray for our partners as they work with men, women, children and youth in war-torn areas. 
let's pray for God's help and intervention in bringing peace and reconciliation to their countries and the capacity and grace for our partners to contribute to that. Pray that our partners will continue to do the work that God has called us to do, to network and interact with each other and support one another in the needful areas. Pray for God's guidance, provision and protection as sent teams set out to visit different partners and projects in Africa. Thank you and God bless you. Fantastic. Okay, we're going to start into Colossians right now, and, and we're just going to jump in. So if you have a Bible, feel free to turn to the book of Colossians. We'll have it up on the screen as well. But we're going to start Colossians 1, verse 1, and we're going to do the first 14 verses today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We'll start there. This, shown by the introduction, is a letter. And we are reading someone else's mail this morning. Now, this is a good thing for us to remember that Paul and Timothy, as we read in these verses, are writing this letter to a particular people at a particular time in a particular place who are followers of Jesus. Now, a part of good Bible study is remembering that we are in some ways one step removed from what is going on there. That we read the Bible and we read this letter in particular and we remember that even though it is for us, it was not written to us. It was written to the Colossians, but we can read it and we can glean and we can find God's words to us as we read this letter that was written to someone else. As followers of Jesus, we believe that the Holy Spirit inspired authors as they were writing these letters and what, in what we have now as the New Testament. And we trust that as followers of Jesus, we have that same spirit that is dwelling in us. And so we are trusting and we are reading these words today Trusting that the spirit that inspired them is also the same spirit who's going to illuminate these words to our hearts. And so we do a good job of trying to understand what Paul and Timothy are writing to the Colossians and also trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to bring those things to bear in our own lives. That the words of the spirit written through Paul and Timothy are authoritative. They're worth listening to. They're not just for the Colossians, they are for us as well, but remembering where they were sent to originally. But these first couple of verses, they kind of set up the, the who, what, who, who, where, and what of what is going on in this letter. And this is important for us, especially if we're going to be spending the next several weeks in this book. So we know that this is written by Paul and Timothy is with him. And Colossians is one of the letters that is referred to as one of the prison letters, meaning Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison. And, and so don't think of like modern prison, you're in a cell with bars and a bunk bed. Think of like damp basement kind of cavernous place where you are with a bunch of other prisoners, probably not like solitary by yourself, but a bunch of people together. 
And don't imagine Paul writing this kind of like necessarily alone, tucked in the corner, scribbling in the dark. But in fact, Paul would have visitors who would come to meet with him. Timothy likely came and visited Paul and others, other followers of Jesus that that he was networked with, who would come and would uh, make deals with the guards to come and even sit with Paul in the prison and talk with him, give him updates of what is going on. Maybe Paul was even kind of speaking these words through uh, the, the wall or the window to other followers of Jesus who were writing these things down to be able to create this letter that is sent. Sometimes we have this kind of clean-cut picture of Paul in his nice, cozy office writing his letters to these people. But we understand the Spirit-inspired letters that are in the New Testament and that are sent to the churches, that the church throughout history have agreed are from God. They, they are from and in the nitty-gritty time and place of what's going on. Paul is writing this from a place where he has been thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. He's writing this from a place of like, I'm not on the mountaintop right now. Like, I am not being given the fantastic opportunities. I am in a low place. I'm in prison. And this is where he's writing from. Now, scholars disagree whether, like, Paul was in prison a bunch. And if you read through Acts, you you can see this. And some scholars think he's writing this from Rome. And you can see on the map kind of boot of Italy, Galatia, which that's kind of modern Turkey, Greece in the middle. So some scholars think he was in Rome in prison while he was writing this. Other scholars think he might have been in uh, Caesarea, which is kind of uh, north of, of Jerusalem. Others think maybe he was in prison in Ephesus, kind of down the road from Colossae as he was writing this. It doesn't really matter for our interpretation of it, but we need to understand Paul was a man who spent time in prison. He had low moments in his journey of being a missionary, uh, telling people about the risen Jesus. And even in these kind of lower places, he was still pouring into what God was doing through these letters. Now, Colossae, which is in what we call modern-day Turkey, is uh, a city that was more inland than Ephesus. Ephesus was kind of the big uh, metropolis, but Colossae was part of a bunch of like other smaller cities that were in that area. And what we read in, um, in Paul's letters is this letter of Colossians and the letter uh, to the Ephesians are very similar. And so Paul was probably like writing similar things to the churches in this area. And even in this letter, we'll see Paul's like, once you finish reading this letter, pass it on to the church in the next town over. So there are things in this letter that were helpful for them, but also applied to the church more broadly, which should, uh, which should give us even more reason to lean in and say, this is not just for them. It is for us as well. But Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae, and we were trying to understand the, the Colossian church as probably a church that Paul didn't start. Paul's missionary journeys involved him going to different cities throughout the Roman Empire, preaching about Jesus, often starting in the Jewish synagogues, and there would be converts. There would be people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And there would be converts from Judaism, there would be converts who came from kind of Greek paganism, and they would start these kind of ragtag groups of church people together. We don't know what that's like at all. 
And he would start these churches and he would raise up leaders in these churches and then he would kind of go on to the next town and, and start communities. This probably wasn't a community that Paul started. There was a man named Epaphras who was uh, a worker with Paul and we read in this letter that he was the one who shared the gospel with the Colossians. And so we're likely reading about a church that Epaphras started that Epaphras is telling Paul about and Paul is speaking into their situation. And what we read in this letter is Paul is writing this from prison, probably hearing from Epaphras who came to visit him about what's going on with the Colossian church. And the news that Epaphras delivers to him is, first of all, deeply encouraging. What what Epaphras is saying to Paul is, listen, like the gospel is taking root in people's lives. Like people are are coming to know Jesus and he's transforming their life and he's making them new and it's making a difference in the community and in the lives of these people. Jesus is at work in this town. And there's also a lot of difficult stuff happening too. There's starting to be false teaching that's creeping up, that's telling people, listen, Jesus might just be the starting point, but if you really want to be a mature spiritual person, you got to move beyond that and get into some other weird stuff. Or there were false teachers that are saying, listen, okay, you can, you can talk about Jesus all you want and we'll even wink at him as the Messiah, but you really need to ingrain yourself more into Judaism. And, and for the Gentiles, the non-Jews, you really need to become Jewish if you want to understand who Jesus is. And so this letter is reaffirming to the Colossians, Jesus is it. Jesus is the answer. We don't move beyond Jesus. And we don't revert away from Jesus. And so as we want to grow more mature in our lives of faith, if we want to come to know the truth of who God is, we lean in further into who Jesus is. Not beyond Him and not back from Him. Let's keep reading. Paul says in in verse 3 and following, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of of the gospel that has come to you. Paul's the king of run-on sentences, by the way, so just bear with him. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing amongst you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Can we just go back one slide? I want to focus on verses 3 through six a little bit there. So what we see here is Paul is, he's excited about what's going on in, in the church in Colossae, that the gospel is taking root and what he's noticing and hearing is the fruit of that, where he is, he is mentioning specifically the faith and the love that the Colossians are showing. That they are a people that are set apart, that they are marked out by the amount of faith that they have and the love that they have for one another. But I I love how he says it here, that this faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. 
and about which you heard in the gospel. What's important for us to to wrestle with here is we are seeing in the Colossian church the fruit that the gospel bears. That there are people who show faith and love, and that is evidence in our lives that Jesus is doing something. And if we go to the next slide, we we see this this faith and love that's resulting uh, from the hope that they have. And that hope is something that they heard in the gospel from Epaphras. uh, That the faith and love isn't just good behavior that we see in these people, but that it is stemming out from something. So the faith and love is grounded in the hope that they have. And, And when Paul is talking about hope here, he's not just saying you guys are hopeful people. He's not saying you guys have the warm, tingly feeling of hope. But the way he talks about hope, the hope stored up for you in heaven, we can see it on the, on the next slide, the hope stored up for you in heaven isn't just warm, tingly feelings, but it is a hope in something beyond yourself. It is, you have a hope stored up for you in heaven, not a, I feel good about the future, but there is something out there, something that has been done, same, something that the future is anchored in that then I can look at and say, okay, I can be confident about what's coming because of what's happened. The hope that they're talking about is this fact that they have an anchored sense of what Jesus has done on the cross and resurrection and now ascended at the right hand of the Father means that they have something beyond themselves to hope in. They have love and they have faith because of what Jesus has done. So Epaphras preached the gospel that Jesus came, he died for them on the cross, he was risen from the dead, and that he's ascended to the right hand of the Father and is coming again. He's making all things new. And because of that, they have a hope in that fact, not hope in a tingly feeling in themselves. And because they have that anchored hope, there is faith and love that is overflowing in their lives. And and this really makes me think in my own life of, am I someone who is demonstrating the, the faith and love overflowing in my own life? Like, am I someone that Paul would, would see and notice, wow, like I can see and I'm praying in thanks of the faith and the, and the love that's evidence in your life. Am I a person where faith is the default, where love is how I treat other people? And I'm not all the time. And I don't know about you guys, but I think that's part of the reality for us sometimes. And, and I wonder if the question for us is, is our hope really in, anchored in who Jesus is and what he's done for us? And, and maybe one of the reasons that we are not seeing this fruit of faith and love evidenced in our life is because we have placed our hope, as much as we say it's in Jesus, in other things. Where... We, we believe the gospel and we're following Jesus, but we have placed a lot of our hope in, in government and institutions. And we say, well, if the right people get in power, then, then I'm going to be secure and, and hopeful about the future. Or if, if you know, the right policies get passed or the right people in the school board make the right changes, then I can have hope about the future. Or if my finances pan out and the, the investments that I made work out in my favor, then I can have hope for the future. 
But until then, I'm just an anxious wreck because I don't know what the government is going to do. And I don't know what's going to happen with the school board. And I don't know what's going to go on with the economy. And so I'm not a person of faith and love. I'm actually a person who's demonstrating that my hope is placed somewhere else. The invitation for us is to place our hope in what Jesus has already done in the gospel. That we can say the victory is won and we get to participate in it because Jesus died for our sins. He rose on the third day. He is ascended at the right hand of the Father and he's coming again to make all things new. That is happening. And so now I can be a person who doesn't have to live in anxiousness about economy or government or whatever, but I can be someone who places my hope firmly in Jesus. And I think what happens with that is we are, are able to overflow with a level of faith and love because of that. Not in ourselves, not that we're drumming up in ourselves this faith and love, but I think it flows, it springs out of a hope firmly placed in Jesus. Where is our hope this morning? What I love about the first part of this letter is Paul hears and he sees that God is at work in this church. Paul sees that God is at work and it moves him in the next section to pray for them. And he talks about how specifically he prays for the church. And, and I think this is something that we should pick up on as well, that when we see God at work, that should draw us to lean in in prayer. If God is at work, then we pray. We continue to lean in, to press in to what he's doing. Let's keep reading. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. There's a whole lot there and we're not going to be able to unpack all of it this morning. So I encourage you this afternoon, spend some time in these first 14 verses and just, just meditate on what it is Paul is saying here. But we're going to try to follow his main argument here. What is it that Paul is praying for the Colossian church? What is it that he is praying for him? If we go back to uh, verse, let's see, verse 9, it says, We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will uh, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He wants them to know God's will by the power and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't just stop there. He has these so that moments that I've underlined for us. To, to highlight the importance of it. He's praying for them to have wisdom and God's knowledge because there's stuff that's happening. I, I find in my own life, I have a tendency of being someone who just wants to accumulate knowledge. 
just accumulate in my study of the Bible and of theology so I can feel really good and smart. And that is often like the motivation. And I have to wrestle with that. And I think sometimes as Christians, especially in the West, like we, we approach Christianity as like, this is just like a learning thing where I need to amass more knowledge. I need to figure more stuff out so I can sound smart in the Bible study. But I think what that does is that actually drives us to become more consumers as Christians than as, as followers and disciples. Where followers and disciples are sent out. We're meant to use the knowledge that we've been given. We're meant to use what we understand of Jesus that drives us. There is a so that to our faith that is more than just the accumulation of knowledge. And so we need to be careful as Christians in the West where we have access to so much on the internet. We have so many Bible translations and studies and commentaries and influencers and all this stuff, some much better than others. And I could go down a huge route anyway huge rabbit trail there where we can accumulate and consume so much that it becomes this really unhealthy intake with no output and paul here saying i am praying for wisdom and knowledge and understanding by the spirit for you so that you may live a life worthy of the lord and please him in every way our knowledge is meant to drive our action drive what we do that our understanding of the gospel and of scriptures and who jesus is shapes how we live shapes what we do that we would bear fruit in every good work that we would live lives that are marked by like there is a a reason behind the good things that we do because we know that they bring glory to god that they bear fruit that they demonstrate the kingdom of god even here and now in the good work that we're doing Paul wants them to grow in knowledge of God and to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that they may have great endurance and patience. He wants them to grow and to develop and to mature because they need God's power to, to have strength and endure and to have patience. He knows there's difficulty coming for them. He knows that there's difficulty with the false teachings. He knows, just like us today, where there are all kinds of challenges to living a comfortable Christian life, that we need God's strength to be able to endure, to be able to live faithfully in the midst of the time and the place that he has us in. We're actually not called to the comfortable Christian life. We're called to an enduring life by the power of God in the community that he has placed us. And so Paul is praying for them to have knowledge and wisdom, to live lives that demonstrate the gospel, and to have the strength of God to be able to endure in the midst of opposition, false teaching, everything that is going on with them. The so that is important for them. This is really the crux of it for us. That we are called to live a life pleasing to God. A a, a life where we respond to God's love and generosity towards us with love and generosity to Him and to others. We're in a similar spot as the Colossians. Where we can say God is up to stuff. Like God is doing things and the gospel is changing lives and, and... 
what the Jesus's death and resurrection and his ascension to the throne, like that is, that is taking root in lives. We are seeing people come to know Jesus. We are seeing the church grow. We are seeing impact in our community. And, and like Paul, I think that means we press in and pray. I think that means that we long for God's wisdom and knowledge so that we can live faithfully in our time and place in the work that God calls us to do here in this community. We want to live lives empowered by the Spirit that demonstrate our love for God in a way that's pleasing to Him. And and so I'm going to wrap this section up this morning uh, really just by inviting us to pray. We're going to spend the next few minutes praying together for that. Praying for God's wisdom and knowledge. Praying for Him to empower us for the time and the place that we're in. Praying that we would have faith and love rooted in the hope that we have in Jesus. Because there's encouraging things happening and we are called to lean into Him faithfully. So I'm going to invite you to to pray. We're going to spend the next few minutes and I'm just going to lead us in prayer. And I don't always do it this way and this isn't the norm for us, so we're going to see how this goes. But I invite you to to pray with me. God, you have been at work since before the beginning. You who, who spoke creation into existence, you are working now and you are calling us into new life and new creation. God, you who who chose to intervene in the, the sinfulness and fallenness of humanity by coming in the flesh, by dying for our sins, by demonstrating us the upside-down kingdom of God, by rising from the dead. You, you're starting a new way of life that's only made possible through you. And just as that took root 2,000 years ago in response to the resurrection in these communities around the Mediterranean Sea, we're seeing the same gospel take root and change lives here in Eastern PEI. God, you are moving. You are inviting us to work with you in the work that you are doing. And so God, like Paul, we pray thanking you for the work that you're doing. Thanking you for the evidence that that is, is seen in people's love and faith in response to the hope that we have anchored in Jesus. And God, there's so much that draws our attention elsewhere. There are so many things that, that we are pressured to put our hope in. And and. and Holy Spirit, I'm trusting even now that you are pointing those things out to each of us. Our sense of security and comfort. God, I pray that you would help us to set aside those things as as false hopes, but place our hope firmly in Jesus. 
that we would be those who are who have a strange non-anxious presence in the midst of an anxious world. That we would be those like like Paul writes that we would have a, a peace that surpasses our understanding and circumstances that in a world that is crazy and chaotic that we would be those who we have a firm and concrete hope that is the steady foundation of our lives. That we wouldn't be tossed around by every wind and wave of conflict and influence and trend, but we'd be firmly rooted in our hope in Jesus. God, I pray for the fruit of that to be evident in our lives. God, I pray for your people here at Cornerstone and at St. Andrews and Centerpoint and the Church of Christ and the Bible Fellowship and the Bible Chapel and Hillcrest and the United Church and all, all of the, the communities of faith in our area that we, as your people, would be those who are marked by faith and love. Holy Spirit, anchor us in Jesus. God, we also pray for your wisdom and for knowledge that comes from your Spirit, for wisdom to discern what it looks like to follow Jesus well in the 21st century, what it means to be faithful disciples, that we would be those who don't just consume, but those who pour out those whose knowledge and wisdom that you give us has legs, has hands. Protect us from becoming a holy huddle of those who like to get together on Sunday, but there's no evidence of participation in your mission. Make us fear that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower us with the strength, the glorious might of God to endure and to have patience in a confusing time. When we read what's in the news, when we see local conflicts, as we live in a, a culture that does not acknowledge God as king, as no culture truly has, Help us to live faithfully as citizens of a different kingdom. And God, for whatever is ahead for us, as we experience the work that you are doing as a church community, as we seek to respond well to that, would you, would you help us to take the steps that are needed ahead? Help us to lean in to what you are doing. May we tr not trust in our own wisdom, but lean on yours. That our lives might reflect a greater hope, a hope in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to close our time singing together.